You're listening to Women Leading Prevention Science, where we host candid conversations with some of the most accomplished women in the prevention science field. Each episode features a conversation with two female researchers who will discuss the public health problems they're trying to solve through their work and tell the stories of their journeys into the field. I'm Sarah Hairgrove, a public health analyst at RTI International. I began working in substance use prevention research after graduating from The Ohio State University in 2020, and I'll be starting graduate school this fall at the University of Maryland to obtain my master's in public health and health equity. As I move through my early years as a prevention scientist, it's an honor to speak with these inspiring female leaders in the field. This podcast was developed as part of the Heal Prevention Cooperative, funded through the NIH Helping to End Addiction Long-Term Initiative an aggressive effort to speed scientific solutions to curb the national opioid public health crisis. The Hill Prevention Cooperative includes 10 research projects throughout the country and one coordinating center based at RTI International in the Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. Today, I'll be talking with Dr. Leslie Lev, Laure Loki Chair and Professor in the College of Education and Scientist at the Prevention Science Institute at the University of Oregon and Dr. Beth Stormshack, Philip H. Knight Chair and Professor in the College of Education and a research scientist at the Prevention Science Institute at the University of Oregon. We'll be discussing the importance of forging strong relationships during the course of their careers and the lessons, rewards, and challenges they've encountered being mentored and mentoring others. Let's get started. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Before we jump into talking about relationships and mentoring, I'd like you both to share how you ended up in a career in prevention science. Beth, let's start with you. Well, um, it's been a long journey for me, actually. Uh, I started um, being interested in this topic when I was an undergraduate at the University of Washington. uh, And I took a lot of psychology classes. I was very interested in in the science of psychology. But when I really drilled down to what I was truly interested in, it has to do with understanding human behavior. Why do people do the things that they do? And um, what are the ways that people can get off a journey that's maybe destructive to their lives? And what are the risks and protective factors in someone's life that can help support them um, to have a positive outcome or risk factors that maybe prevent those outcomes from occurring? And so I became interested in that really early on. Um, And then I went to graduate school at Penn State University and My degree is in child clinical psychology, and I became more interested in child development and how these factors play out um, in early childhood and and middle childhood and how um, families can be protective during that time and really help kids stay on the right track. And so that work really jump-started the work I do at the University of Oregon around effective prevention programs for children and families in the community. And Leslie, I understand that there was a pivotal moment that pointed you to prevention science. Yeah, so my journey had some unexpected turns, I guess I would say. I started out as um, in developmental psychology, and that was where I did my undergrad at in University of California, and then my PhD, uh, it was in developmental psychology, and I was really interested in um, g- gender differences, so sort of how family socialization processes lead to different outcomes for males and females, boys and girls. Uh, And my advisor was Beverly Fago. She was really an expert in that area. And I continued to work in that area right after I received my PhD with her as my mentor in a postdoc role. Uh, And and very tragically, she she 
was diagnosed with cancer and died very suddenly. And so that had a really pretty profound effect on my career in many ways. Uh, One, as many of you listening may know, you know, losing a mentor, whether that's an academic mentor or, or somebody in your personal, personal life, it's hard. (laughs) And I, I, at first was, um, in a role where I, I, I think maybe because of the loss and the grieving, I was sort of trying to follow really closely in her footsteps and carry on the work that she had started, um, which maybe that was my way of, of, of coping with a lot, you know, getting through that time period. Um, and at the same time, I became, I was at Oregon Social Learning Center, which is just, it's renowned for some of its work in preventive interventions around substance use and delinquency. And I became really involved because of my interest in gender differences around the Treatment Foster Care Oregon program, and in particular, looking at how that might be related to girls' outcomes. Um, and so con- by connecting with Pat, it just sort of launched me into this new trajectory of, I, I was not trained as a interventionist. I was, I was trained as a basic developmental scientist. Um, but that experience of like being almost forced unexpectedly to, to have to find <laughs> a new mentor, a new pathway forward launched me to that connection of uh, being exposed to preventive interventions for vulnerable populations, being able to extend my interest in gender differences uh, but with foster care populations and juvenile justice populations and really start to form close collaborations with those who are experts in inter- in the development and delivery of interventions. I know I'm not alone in that. I think a lot of, you know, a lot of us, especially now with the pandemic, have lost people important in our lives. And um, you can feel lost at times. And, and but I think the the kind of note of hope is that there are a lot of possible pathways forward and connecting to the right mentors and people and resources out there. There are so many um, people in research and academic and substance use prevention, as well as in your personal sphere who are are there to support you. It sounds like early on um, that loss may have served as some kind of motivation to really keep moving forward and, and making the most of the mentorship you were able to receive um, from your mentor. Yeah, I don't think I would have launched into being exposed to prevention science and intervention research at that point in my career had this event not occurred in my, in my, my career. Leslie and Beth discussed how essential relationships have been in their paths to prevention science, particularly mentoring they've received from more established scientists early in their careers and collaborating with other scientists to conduct prevention research. Well, one thing we were talking about recently that I think is worth mentioning is how how our careers got launched. We both partnered with more established scientists early in our career, and that um, provided mentorship opportunities for us, but also learning opportunities around just grant writing, structuring up a lab, collaborating with others, and some of the key foundations that you really need to have in place to, to be a prevention scientist. And so I think um, through those relationships, my career was able to grow more than it would have otherwise. Yeah, I would second that. And I think also my career pathway, I was a postdoc and then a research scientist at 
a research institute, a nonprofit institute, Oregon Social Learning Center. And so being surrounded by others who they're really 100% of their job is to write grants, develop interventions, deliver programs, collect data, analyze data, um, is different and does allow you more freedom than, for example, if you're in a tenure line position and you you know you're going to have to write your materials for tenure and you know promotion to associate professor where you have to really clearly be able to specify here's my here are my three areas of research and here's what I've done in these three areas i i grew up in a research center where that wasn't the norm or the expectation it really was um here the here's the expertise across the unit and here's where we all fit together and here's the next opportunity we can um, write a grant for write papers on develop an intervention for maybe allows you a different kind of scientific freedom to be at a research institute but in you know pros and cons i think to both pathways i guess the other essential kernel here is the value of collaborations and interdisciplinary research because um, some of the ideas beth and i are talking about we can't be no one person can be an expert in all the things it takes to be able to do a particular study, um, but building those networks and collaborations with others who, you know, have so, so like in my case, working with folks who are implementation science experts, or working with folks who do identify as Latino Hispanic and have the connections to those communities, uh, and then by collaborating together, being able to launch and deliver services and prevention programs that that no one person can do on their own. Right. And I, that, that's a really great point, too, that um, prevention science is team science. It really can't be done alone. And part of what's made both of our careers successful is that we've partnered with many other great scientists and collaborators along the way. And when people get together and they come up with ideas, those ideas are always better when more people are involved. And um, I think that's part of what makes this career exciting and interesting. If I were just doing it by myself, I'd be pretty bored, but interacting with colleagues that have great ideas and then synergize my ideas and together we come up with something even more interesting, that's part of the fun of this career and the science that goes with prevention science. The other piece I would add to that is in addition to interdisciplinary, like we've been talking about, it's this spanning of early, middle, and more established career stages because there's there's really a bi-directionality in terms of the influx of new ideas from folks in training or earlier in their career with our, you know, more, you know, we have a longer sense of the, the history of the field and know where it's come and gone, what might have worked well 20 years ago and maybe is not as, you know, needs adaptation now. So just being able to bridge across generations and bring together new ideas is, is part of the fun of the science. If you were to advise uh, women that are earlier in their career, uh, how, how would you encourage them to establish those partnerships with more senior scientists? How would they go about that process? Well, I, I would say it probably starts with forming one or two strong partnerships with somebody, you know, more, more advanced in their career to you uh, and having a few positive experiences there and then really for me it was having those mentors introduce me to other mentors other senior folks in the or p p potential future mentors in the field that were outside of my institution you know maybe through an introduction at a conference or an opportunity to collaborate on a paper together or a project together so i i think starting small with one or two and then hopefully 
being able to, to essentially leverage those relationships and have those span into broader networks that are outside of your institution and, and state. I agree with that, and I think you might first think about your area of research, obviously, and what it is, and what you want, how, what you want in terms of moving forward with that area of research. Then identify some colleagues nationally, locally, if you can, but sometimes that's not possible, who do something similar uh, and could be mentors for you. And then think about the idea you want to put forward in a grant, uh, maybe an early career award or a smaller grant, and ask some of those uh, colleagues if they'll be a co-investigator with you or partner with you on that, then you write the grant and get feedback from them on, uh, on the content and, and assistance with it. And then that's sort of the beginning of a really great mentorship relationship that can be really valuable for an early career person. And the, I think sometimes when you're an early career person, you think, oh, no one would really want to do that with me, or I'm not sure how to reach out. But the reality is, is that most, a lot of senior faculty are happy to engage with early career folks around grant writing and those kinds of activities. And I know that Leslie and I get asked all the time to do things like that. And I'm, I'm almost always happy to, to do that with people, be a co-investigator or provide feedback on a grant application or anything like that. And it's really a matter of just reaching out to people, maybe meeting them at a conference, reaching out, and then forming those relationships. And um, they don't have to be in your home state or home university, they can be national relationships. Well, I would just add that we also know and have experienced, you know, even in our own careers, not every advisee mentorship relationship is going to, is perfect. And it may not be the, the ideal fit for one or the other. And I think just keeping, knowing that the door is open, that if your first rela mentorship relationship or your first attempt at collaboration with an established person isn't successful, to not give up on that. A lot of times it's a, just a fit of the the working styles or the content area. And so to, to stay, to hang in there, stay in there and, and seek another potential collaboration. Beth and Leslie learned many valuable lessons from their mentors and other scientists they've collaborated with over the years, from grant writing to being flexible about how to get work done. Echoing what Beth said earlier, certainly learning how to write a grant, how to make arguments in coherent ways, how to, how to base your arguments in strong theoretical models so that you're really linking, here's my model, here, and here's that is, that's directly connected to my intervention framework and model. That was certainly a lesson that I think was helpful for me earlier in my career is that the, the, the conceptualization of how you think about a, a grant application and how that's actually different than how you write a manuscript. Also, um just what it takes to put together a grant application. It's a big effort and it takes thoughtfulness. It takes planning, timing, um, thinking through everything. It's not a last minute uh, effort ever. It's something that you, know, you work for several months toward and then um, you submit it. Uh, so just, I think I learned from my mentor, allowing enough time to be thoughtful about at the grant application. If you rush something in, you're often not going to get it. And because you haven't had the time to sit back and really think about it a little bit and make it the best that it can be. Um, so that's another kind of takeaway. But also I think um, it, just the amount of time that it takes to do this career, writing articles, submitting grants, 
it it doesn't fit into a regular workday. And often when you're, for me, I had a, a little bit of a different career path than Leslie in that I've been in an academic institution my entire career. So I've had the demands of teaching, uh, mentoring students, service, administration at the university and all of those uh, to navigate and balance along with my research career. And um, it doesn't fit neatly into the, you know your eight to five workday. And um, that was modeled for me early on, but I think that's been a really important lesson for me in my career as well, that sometimes you end up doing things late at night or getting up early in the morning to finish things off. It doesn't, it's not all neat and tidy. Yeah, I agree. I agree, Beth. And I think another thing that's coming to mind as you were speaking is just this lesson of fig figuring out that fine line of when to continue to be persistent with a grant idea or project idea and keep trying and submit it again and revise it or, you know, modify it versus, the, you know, despite the hours and hours and hours of putting into it, realizing, okay, I love this idea and I think it's really important, but it's just not going to go anywhere. I need to stop. I, I need to pull the plug on this and devote my energies elsewhere. That's a, that's complicated because, you know, sometimes we can be really invested, invested in a topic or an idea and it can be a fantastic idea, but it's just not one that a particular funding agency is going to get excited about. Um, so seeing how those uh, more senior to me had, had experienced successes and had ex experienced failures and how they navigated those and how they opted what to, where to continue and pursue versus, okay, that's done. Let's go a different direction. That's such a good one. Another thing I certainly learned from mentors is the volume of grants that you need to submit in order to be successful. And I think that's something that um, mentoring junior faculty, I sometimes uh, try to help encourage them to keep submitting grants because I've seen many junior researchers submit a grant and work hard on it and then it doesn't get scored or it doesn't get or maybe it gets scored but it doesn't get funded and then they feel demoralized and it takes them a while to get back out there and submit it again and if you that's not the the pace that you can really work at to have grant funding and to work as a prevention scientist it's um, it, you need to be at a, a bit of a faster pace, submitting grants every cycle and having a few submitted at a time, because of course we know that less than 5% of grants are funded. And so if you only submit one, your chances of getting it funded are pretty low. You have to play the odds a little bit better than that. And I think sometimes that's a difficult lesson too. Leslie and Beth value the mentoring they've received during their research careers and feel strongly that being mentors to others while both rewarding and challenging, is important, not only to the development of future women scientists, but also to their own learning. Uh, for me, it's definitely the bi-directionality of knowledge info exchange. So I learn new things from folks I have mentored, or I might, they, might, they might pursue an idea where I'm supporting them in an idea, and it's a direction I would have never thought to take or a direction to turn. And so it, it's part of that never-ending expanding, you know, it's what makes the work exciting. You're expanding your uh, knowledge and ideas around different research directions that wouldn't have necessarily occurred to me had I not been uh, working with and supporting a someone earlier in their career in this area. Yeah, I agree with that. That's absolutely true. Learning from others. I, I think for me, I also, I just really enjoy working with people and, and seeing them be successful. 
and this career and, and feel like they have uh, self-efficacy and um, motivation to continue because they've had successes and they've enjoyed the work they're doing. And I get a lot out of just being around colleagues that enjoy what they're doing. So I like to promote that in the work, in, in my work environment and in the relationships that I have with colleagues. I'd say one aspect that's challenging is it does, it's, you cannot be a good mentor if you don't invest the time. And all, all of us have so much to do with our time. There are so many things that faculty have to do with their time every day uh, that you really do have to make sure and intentionally set aside time for that mentorship. I think another challenge that goes along with kind of a, a positive aspect is just that often folks earlier in their career have just so much energy and enthusiasm and ideas that are very all-encompassing. And so trying to find ways to mentor folks to, to not squelch that enthusiasm and energy for, oh, I want to look at these 50 things, uh, but help them come to a place where they can refine that and focus it down to a, a more focused um, project or a research area or a grant application that, that is manageable and that's more likely to get funded. Because I think the, we can all have amazing ideas, but if it gets too big, it's going to be hard to both write and then also hard to get funded. How do you feel like current leaders in the prevention field can encourage young women to become leaders themselves? Certainly having role models who are women, who are diverse faculty, you know, diverse individuals, uh, can absolutely help those earlier in their career recognize and identify with, okay, that's, that's something I can do. I see somebody like me up there who is, whatever, leading this um, paper or chairing the symposium or elected to this society. So just having somebody who looks like you, whether that's a female or a person who shares your same race or ethnicity or sociocultural background, that can be beneficial and encouraging for uh, those early in their career. And I think being involved in different societies early in your career can be helpful. And Leslie and I are both involved in the Society for Prevention Research and have served in leadership roles there. And I think um, one thing that I really like about that organization is that the promoting of mentorship of junior faculty and junior scientists, but also just pathways for even doctoral students and postdocs to get involved in the organization and to connect with senior scientists. Yeah, I also think having a, I'm looking, reflecting back on the mentorship I experienced. And one of my mentors, I would, I kind of, we used to describe her as sort of a mother hen type of uh, characters. Like she, you just, you felt protected. So uh, having a mentor who will not only, you know, provide you with the scaffolding and support to develop your career, but who will help run interference if they see like, wait a minute, <laughs> you're being asked to do this service thing over here, or you're being drawn into this paper. And I don't know that that's entirely consistent with your scientific goals or expertise, and they, it might not be the best use of your time. So that kind of, at least having the conversation, if not having a more established person who will help run interference as needed to, to support women and those early in their career in not getting pulled in too many directions that may not be promotive to their career. Thank you both for taking the time to speak with me today. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for Women Leading Prevention Science. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll continue to join us as we host candid conversations with some of the most accomplished women in the prevention science field. 
We hope you'll share this podcast with your prevention science colleagues and with any young women you know that may be interested in pursuing a career in science. For more information on the HEAL Prevention Initiative, please visit heal.nih.gov.